Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AABMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at AABMC. So on this episode, this special episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. I am joined by two 2019 AAVMC award winners. Um, first, I am setting down um, to chat a bit with Dr. Kanita Rogers, the Executive Associate Dean and Director for Director of College Inclusion and Diversity at Texas A&M University. Um, and then um, after my chat with uh, Kanita, I will be sitting down with Dr. India Napier, who is a DBM student, third year, almost fourth year student at Tufts University, Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine. She is the, uh, I'm sorry, India is the Patricia Lowry Diversity Leadership uh, Scholarship Awardee for 2019. So, as I mentioned, I'm sitting down with Kanita first. So the award um, that Kanita has been awarded for 2019, of course, is the Iverson Bell Award. Um, the award is named after Dr. Bell, who is a 1949 graduate of Michigan State University. Dr. Bell went on to be a founding professor of small animal medicine at Tuskegee University. He eventually relocated to Indiana, where he was in private practice for um, more than 35 years. Dr. Bell was very active in organized veterinary medicine, serving both in the Indiana Veterinary Medical Association and uh, as the vice president of the AVMA in the 1970s, early 1970s. He was very active in veterinary education, uh, was instrumental in the founding of Purdue University's College of Veterinary Medicine. He was also a social justice advocate, very passionate about increasing diversity in veterinary medicine. The AAVMC's Iverson Bell Symposium originally began as a gathering of interested veterinarians and allies committed to increasing diversity in the profession. And um, it is, of course, named after Dr. Bell, and it remains the longest running diversity focused meeting in veterinary medicine. The award that is named in his honor at AAVMC, we have certainly been giving for many, many years. And here are the criteria for selection. The Iverson Bell Award recognizes individuals who have a demonstrated commitment to promoting diversity and inclusion in academic veterinary medicine through contributions that may have an impact in any area, college, local area, region, state, and or national arenas. Um, this individual has played a significant role in the recruitment, development, and retention of pre-vet and DVM students, faculty, residents, interns, um, all from underrepresented or disadvantaged and or marginalized backgrounds. Um, and finally, this individual has included and promoted diversity in, veterinary in the veterinary medical profession through the inclusion and infusion of diversity issues in the college environment through programming and curriculum additions. Um, and so with that very, very lengthy... <laughs> <laughs> So I am pleased to welcome to the podcast Dr. Kanita Rogers, our 2019 awardee. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm thrilled. We are so excited. We're so excited. So, Kanita, why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Tell us about yourself. Well, uh, I always tell folks that I'm an old white chick from West Virginia. So that's uh, 
uh, that's how I see myself. So, so I'm originally from West Virginia. I have a brother who's a veterinarian. Uh, I went to school at LSU uh, for my DVM degree, did a year at the University of Georgia. And then I've been at Texas A&M University ever since. So I've been there 35 years. Uh, did my residency there. I'm a boarded internist and oncologist. And then about 12 years went into administration and got lucky enough to be asked to be the director for diversity and inclusion at Texas A&M in 2011. Uh, and since that time, uh, I really found my passion, I think. Awesome. So how did you make that, uh, you know, how did you make that transition? How did you, well, let's talk a little bit about your career. How did you make the transition first from from uh, faculty to administration? So uh, actually, I got asked uh, to apply when actually Debbie Cochever uh, was the assistant dean at Texas A&M. We'd been colleagues and faculty members together for many, many years, over 20 years. Uh, And then she uh, went to be the dean of Tufts, where she's obviously been incredibly successful and an awesome dean. Uh, At that time, there were five of us, all women in the college that applied for the position, and I was fortunate enough to get it at that time, not knowing too much about it. Uh, I did the associate dean for professional programs for the DVM students for 10 years, and then the last two years, I've moved into being the executive associate dean. All right. So tell us how you got into diversity work. You know, I've thought about that a little bit. So uh, my... My gut feeling, my soul feeling is that actually a lot of diversity work is just about having a heart for kindness. And I think a lot of people who are clinicians actually do diversity work and don't know about it just by being inclusive, uh, having good communication skills, et cetera. Uh, But how I got into it by name, at least, was Texas A&M started in about uh, 2011 range uh, up to about 2014, somewhere in that range, they really started getting um, meaningful impact for diversity and inclusion, meaning that every year, every college and unit has had to say, you know what, well, you're going to present a report every year and every other year you're going to present uh, orally in front of the president and the provost, uh, and we're going to give you money. Uh, if you are good, they really put their money where their mouth was. And every year they have doled out a, about a million dollars across campus for for good works. And so we've earned a little over a million dollars ourselves since that time. Um, so, so first of all, it was clear that it was impactful to the college. Uh, I had to learn a lot uh, from people like yourself, for example, Christine Stanley, the folks here at Purdue, et cetera. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, but I, I got into it sort of serendipitously, one being a clinician, I think I had the heart for it. But the second thing was learning the importance of it um, through our campus and then through our college. Yeah, sure. So I remember when we first started working together um, in your role as associate Dean. And it was really kind of um, when we really, really kind of started connecting was during the first um, climate survey, and uh, just, <laughs> which was like around 2011. Yep. And it was really fascinating because, um, um, you know, for our listeners, Kanita went hard into like <laughs> of making sure <laughs> yeah. that there was a very high response rate. And some of the things that you did were just so, so much fun. Um, you made the project really um, a lot of fun and it actually fostered um, real impact nationally because there was this wonderful kind of, uh, you know, at the time I, I created this um 
this uh, kind of real live um, ranking of of um, uh, response rates, and people were like, "Ah, better than <laughs> this competitive lot. It always works, right?" <laughs> right. And so you know, so you know, what are some? What do you think have been some of the most impactful things that um, you've been involved with um, with respect to diversity and inclusion at Texas A and M? So I, I think I would list four or five things, probably, I hope. Um, one is we've just rolled out a new curriculum, and we were very intentional about that in the sense that there are core competencies. Before um, before we did anything else, what are the core competencies? It was very clear that diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, conflict management, wellness, all of those things that sometimes can come in a similar package, uh, we're going to be core competencies and our students weren't going to graduate without having good knowledge of those. And so I think that has been a real effort and uh, really important. Um, I, I hope it's climate in the entire college. So we're one of the two colleges that actually has an undergraduate program as well. We have a very large undergraduate program that has 21 or 2200 students in it. Uh, and so those uh, so everything from the undergraduates to our DVM students, to our graduate students, faculty, staff, uh, and beyond, we we need to have people come in and say, you know what, I feel welcome here and I belong. And so there's a lot of initiatives there. I'd say the third thing, and this has just uh, become more evident to me recently, is that really from the leadership down, uh, there are real conversations going on in our college about these things. We we took a picture the other day and there was zero questions from our executive committee whether they were going to do it or not. We went outside in front of our new building, which has this very iconic uh, horse statues, and uh, half of us held the rainbow flag and half held the bisexual flag mm-hmm. and got this really beautiful picture. And um, so... So there's no question about these comments coming up and about them being important and uh, discussed. And, and I, to me, that's that's a big deal. It's just that they're part of everyday conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think maybe the other thing that I would say something about is um, we've really focused on making sure that staff as well as faculty are really um, growing and feeling included. And so professional development activities and particularly things in conflict management. So this very second, I'm sitting at the Beck Agricultural Center at Purdue University, uh, where Dr. Nance Watson and I ha- are, are training their third cohort in mediation. Uh, at Texas A&M, we've, we will be in April doing our eighth cohort uh, in mediation training, half faculty, half staff. And so, to, again, to have a common conflict language, let people grow, have professional development and see this whole area as a place that everybody fits in and they are a part of it from some aspect of the broad definition of diversity. I, I'd say I'm pretty proud of, of how people have bought into that and are engaged in that. Absolutely, absolutely, and just you know, it's it's just really important um, for for as a friend and a colleague, Kanita. I want you to know, and I want our listeners to know that the impact has really been so far beyond um, Texas A and M. Texas A and M is really um, the work that you and your colleagues have have been able to do. The movement that you all um, have been able to really kind of commit to um, in the last decade, more than a decade, has just been really quite remarkable. And, um, you know, you all should be really proud. I remember um, that after the um, 2011 survey, the climate survey that we did at AABMC with um, myself and, and uh, Paige Carmichael at Georgia, you know, we um, we really 
saw some really amazing things across the country. But I just remember at that time, before that was before the height of the the bathroom, you know, yeah. <laughs> controversies. Yeah. And and I remember, you know, during that that study, we found that our LGBT students were probably nationally experiencing um, um, uh, the most marginalization. Certainly, there were other groups that were experiencing <laughs> marginalization. And it's not like the Oppression Olympics, but there were some very key things that. Um, we found with that particular population that, you know, certainly impacted their performance, their well-being, their being, their potentially their willingness to, to stay in the profession and all of those kinds of things. And one of those things was just access to bathrooms. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. I, I remember the first time I, um, so we have now uh, throughout all of our buildings, including our hospitals, probably over 20 gender neutral bathrooms. Uh, but the first time I heard w- was a transgendered student that I did not know was transgendered, uh, first year student. I heard the story later from a staff member that for an entire year, and it, it just it still breaks my heart today to even talk about it, uh, had to think hard about whether they could go to the restroom during the day yeah. in our college. And they found a place and there there was one, uh, but it was a little closet somewhere that actually no one knew about and uh, wasn't even marked as a restroom. And it, and it was one. But uh, today and, and that that really struck me of how here was a person. How could they love Texas A&M? How could they love being here? How could they have a full experience if the, we weren't meeting the basic needs of respect? You know, and so that that was a huge impact on me, that one student who is now. Uh, fully transitioned and is a very successful practitioner in Houston, Texas. And I'm, I'm really grateful to him uh, for bravery and conversations later and, and helping me to understand um, wh- what our commonalities are and how we can just meet each other's needs on the most yeah. basic level. You yeah, know, that's and, basic baseline Maslow, right? And so, basic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> At the time, I just remember that Texas A&M was one of the first schools where, you know, I just remember us having this conversation and you said, you know, well, we have bathrooms that, you know, are single stall and they're kind of throughout the building. We could just take the sign down. That's all we had to do. And uh, and everybody was like, oh, well, it actually helps women now that we have so many women in the profession. No one is standing in line. And I mean, it really was good for everybody. Right. Yeah. And the impetus was was taking good care of everybody that we didn't know we weren't taking good care of. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, I was. I just remember being devastated that there would be anybody who would feel that uncomfortable among us. And uh, that was a big learning lesson for me. Yeah. So uh, tell us when you, when you found out (laughs) about the award, what did that feel like? Oh, wow. Um, You know, so, so I've been at Texas A&M a long time. I've been the Dean's office long enough that I've gotten to see a lot of these awarded over time. And I've always been so thrilled for, Uh, whoever got it, because there are people who've made an impact on me and have taught me things either through the literature or their talks or their actions uh, and mentorship. So first of all, again, uh, this might sound a little uh, melodramatic, but it kind of took my breath away a little bit um, because uh, this really is kind of a, I consider a real highlight of my career, honestly, because to get 
uh, an award for something that you love and are so passionate about. I mean, what gets better than that, right? And so, um, and then the other thing I, I think I felt was really uh, humbled and um, because there's so many people to be indebted to, right? Because this kind of work is is work you learn about and you keep going and, and there's all kind of hills and valleys and uh Uh, coming and going of the goods and the bads and frustrations and things. And so to think about how many people and particularly to look at the past list is really humbling. And again, I I think I would just say thrilling for me. Thrilling. Well, congratulations. We're so excited. We're so excited. So what do you want to see more of? What would you, you know, kind of looking into um, the future, um, what would you like to see more of related to diversity and inclusion in veterinary medicine? Huh. Um, Maybe two things. One, one is I've been so gratified, again, within the college, how many new conversations and how, again, how common it is to have these really meaningful conversations, whether it be with students or the executive committee, whoever. Um, and I guess I would, just, first of all, I would just like to see that this wasn't about preaching to the choir, as we often said, that this really is a, a, a conversation that everybody is having and pulling in the same harness toward the same goal. So, so I know that's a long ways to go, perhaps. But, but I see a lot of I see a lot of progress. I I have so much um, hope uh, because of the generation of students we have now. They they believe different things. They they are more open. They think about things differently, and I and and love to solve these complex problems. So, so I'm thrilled about that. Um, the other thing, and you and I have worked on this a little bit. I would like to see, and what I'm interested in, is a lot more intentional research, whether it be through admissions, curricula, whatever. What is the impact we're having on our students? How do we do things better? Um, how do we treat everybody fairly and equitably? And what does that look like for them and, and how they feel? We talk about veterinary medicine being the most wholehearted uh, experience in terms of biomedical education and how many things people can do, but are we really preparing them to go out into the world and do all the things that we are really trained to do and be with people and communicate well with people and that sort of thing? So I'd like to see a little more intentional research. I think some some folks are starting to do that, and I think that's just as important as some of the scientific things that we're famous for doing. I would like us to see us get a little farther down the line and really some nitty gritty information for people that they can take and say what are best practices and and, uh, incorporate it in their own colleges or practices or whatever. Absolutely. So faculty and administrators and Wiley students who are out there listening, this is a whole area of research for you to consider. As Lisa knows, she and I and a, a small group of really awesome folks are working on a just trying to get down to what are the questions. Yeah, it's actually difficult. That's how wide open this area is. Yeah, uh, is that there's a lot, there's still a lot to be done, and I'm excited about that actually. All right. It's a great way to contribute to the profession. There's some really great opportunities. So definitely be sure to consider research areas related to diversity and inclusion in veterinary medicine. So, Kanita, you have always seemed so team oriented. You've got a great team down there at um, Texas A&M. So no one does this. I mean, you know, we certainly recognize the achievements and contributions of a singular person with an award, but I know Island. So I want to give you an opportunity to shout out members of your team um, that contribute to this effort at Texas A&M University. 
Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, you're you're right about it being a team. And uh, there I see you have a team. <laughs> and actually, it goes from top to bottom. So our previous vice president of diversity, Christine Stanley, has done a lot of talking in veterinary medicine, uh, has been very engaged. And she wrote the diversity plan or helped write the diversity plan uh, for Texas A&M. So a lot of it comes from from that level. Certainly, our executive team is all in. Every department head, certainly the dean, uh, every associate dean. And I'll give a special shout out to Karen Cornell and our professional programs office. They continue to do the work at the curriculum. But I'll tell you what, two people I'd really love to give a shout out to are my previous and my current administrative assistants who both both named Nicole. Uh, one <laughs> is Nicole Parker and one is Nicole Ellis, who've been unbelievably creative with websites and, and um, ideas and, and things and really been the heart and soul of it. Uh, and then it's about faculty, students, and staff being open to the message, right, and and uh, taking it as their message as well. So I'm actually proud of everybody at Texas A&M, to be honest about it. It's a great crew. So you mentioned uh, Dr. Christine Stanley. For mm-hmm. folks um, familiar with the podcast, we featured Dr. Stanley on episode 30. She was talking about diversity, inclusion, and institutional change. So if you want to hear more uh, from the Texas A&M team, uh, check out episode 30 of the podcast. So mm-hmm. as we um, wrap up this short interview, Kanita, what do you what do you want to tackle next? Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those people that has a list, and I like to check it off. You know, I, I uh, so uh, I, I think one of the big things is we've just written and gotten through the executive committee a diversity and inclusion strategic plan that has a lot of elements to it. So I think uh, working on the facets of that to help grow our faculty and staff in those areas is probably on top of the list. We've gotten the Heat Award twice the last two years, and so I'll, we're, we're, we want to get it three years in a row. That's been really impactful for us to have an outside group look at us and say, yeah, you're doing good work, and uh, we want to continue that. I think another thing we'd like to do is certainly there's a number of initiatives, climate, diversity, et cetera, that are out there that we need to do. But I, I think the biggest things we're working on now is trying to think of ways, how do we help other folks? How do we... How do we expand our reach? How do we help others celebrate their successes? And again, as I said, I'm here in Purdue right now, but uh, doing mediation training. But what what are the things that we can do? We're really looking at things. How do we upscale some of the things that we're doing and others are doing so that we can have greater impact in the work over time? Because it just never stops, right? I mean, people come and go and new issues arise. And what we need are a lot of people who are passionate and love this work and are looking forward to seeing what the next problems are so they can keep solving them and and have us get better and better as a profession. Awesome. Well, uh, we all look forward to seeing what happens with all of those efforts. We know that you and your team will do great. I certainly know that I will be hanging out <laughs> with you. <laughs> yes. I'm eager to, to work. Um, Kanita is always one of my go-to dream team uh, folks that I want to include in projects. I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for you all. So, all right, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> So any parting words, um, we're so excited for you and very, very, very proud of you, Kanita, and, and the entire team at Texas a and University. Well, th- thank you so much. And uh, like I said, I, I've learned a lot from you and so many others, and I can't wait to uh, receive the award so I can thank some folks that have really, uh, I think, made the difference in this work and help keep us all inspired as we move forward and keep doing better and better. 
awesome. So yes, the award, um, the Iverson Bell Award will be presented to Dr. Rogers on March 8th in Washington, D.C. as a part of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges annual conference. If you have not registered for that conference, there is still <laughs> um, But definitely be sure to come out and see all of our awardees and this one in particular. So with that, um, we'll wrap our, our time with Kanita. Thank you so much for taking time to talk a little bit about um, Thank you. work and looking backwards and looking forward. So we really appreciate that. All right. Thank you. And uh, see you soon. See you soon. On part two of this bonus episode of the show, we are joined by Dr. India Napier. India is the 2019 recipient of the Patricia Lowry Diversity Leadership Scholarship. She is a member of the class of 2020 at the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University. This young woman stays collecting degrees, having graduated from Boston University with a biology degree and then continuing on to Auburn University, where India earned an MS and a PhD in biomedical science. In a word for the rest of us, she is gold. So for those of you who are unaware of the Lowry Scholarship, it is the only scholarship offered by the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges. The Patricia M. Lowry Diversity Leadership Scholarship recognizes veterinary students who have demonstrated exemplary promise as future leaders and have made significant contributions to enhancing diversity and inclusion in academic veterinary medicine. These scholarships, which are awarded on odd calendar years, so 2019 being one, honor individuals who have been consistent champions of addressing inequities and underrepresentation in the veterinary profession, have have advocated for social justice, and who have advanced valuing diversity and inclusion at AAVMC member institutions. So as a special surprise to India, I'm so excited because Patricia Lowry, a longtime social justice warrior and advocate for diversity in the profession, is joining us on today's show. Thank you, Pat. Good morning. Pat, as many of us know her, is a dear friend and colleague. She has mentored just about everybody in the profession. And I personally call her, straight up call her my professional mom. For those of you that know me, they know that I do call, consider her my bonus mom. You can also, if you want to hear more specifically from uh, Pat, you can be sure to check out episode five of DNI on air. So scroll back in your podcast feed where Pat and I have a really great conversation in our the 50th anniversary of AAVN of talking about the history of, of diversity and inclusion in the profession. So I'm, again, I'm so happy that she is able to join us today. So as is our custom on the show, India, tell us a little bit more about you. you, you we're just already so awestruck by how awesome you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Greenhow. And so great to finally meet you, Dr. Lowry. It's a little bit about me. So born and raised in Boston. I have a large family, you know, living in a very humble area with my mom, who was an elementary school teacher who really instilled in us at a young age that education is so important. It's something no one can take away from you and it can just help you achieve whatever you want. And I took that very seriously. So growing up, I knew that I wanted to do something in science. I really wanted to make a splash in that area. And I couldn't leave Boston because that's where my family was. So when to Boston University, decided to major in biology, and I really started getting into research. I really, really enjoyed what I was doing. I was working with bats and trying to discover what's known now as the white nose syndrome. So working in a lab and working with others 
and caring about conservation medicine, it just really got in the back of my mind, like veterinary medicine, maybe that's something I really like, but I really, really enjoyed research. So I decided to graduate from Boston University, decided to go and try something different, decided to leave the state, the opposite end of uh, the nation and head to Alabama because Auburn University's vet school just offered a great opportunity for me to do research in obviously a context of, you know, veterinary medicine. And I really, really wanted to run with that. And so I joined Dr. Akim Bemi's lab and we worked on developing um, more of an idea of the effects of the amount of estrogens that are found in soybeans and with high amounts of estrogen being an infant formula, which is soy based. What is the effect of that on male reproductive development? And so going into that and reproductive endocrinology, I really enjoyed that field. It was really impressive to see that giving these male offspring access to high amounts of estrogen through their mother's milk, decreasing testosterone up until adulthood, even though they weren't directly exposed, but through their mother's milk was very impressive and awestrucking. And so I really wanted to stay in the reproductive endocrinology world. And so once I finished my master's, I decided to head on to a PhD. That school was still in the back of my mind, but again, I loved research. And so I was lucky to find another professor, Dr. Tatiana Samalova, who was working on developing contraceptives for feral animal populations. She was working on feral pigs and then also feral cats, which we know are overpopulating the entire globe and are decreasing the wild bird population. Um, and, you know, they go through a welfare issue, you know, to be a homeless cat on the street, have a very short lifespan and it's just a miserable life. So for us to figure out how to decrease that population quicker than the efforts now just seems like a dream come true for me to still be in reproductive endocrinology, but also still work in veterinary medicine. So working through that via my PhD was really, really life changing because it just exposed me to the importance of animal models and understanding how you need to meet the, in the middle with veterinarians and researchers. And I just really, really enjoyed it. And as I was finishing up my PhD, I thought, you know what? I think I want to go to veterinary school. I think I want to be a voice for animals. I think I want to still be in contact with research, but help veterinarians with their research. So you know what? I'm going to go to veterinary school. And my family was like, we want you back. So I applied to Tufts so I can be back in Massachusetts with my family. And here I am um, in the middle of my third year, about a little over a month away from entering my clinical year and will be graduating May 2020. So that's my story. <laughs> And what a story it is. <laughs> I know. Dad <laughs> and I are over here tired. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. No, it's like awesome. Like, I mean, you can just really, it's just so wonderful to hear you speak so passionately about your education and kind of what you've already been able to accomplish and kind of where you see yourself going. So yeah, top that, Pat. There's absolutely no chance that I would even attempt to top that. In fact, my mind is already going, and you know, Lisa, I do this. I wonder how we can capture this as as a a promo for encouraging young people, uh, maybe through This Is How We Roll or some other other vehicle to inspire them with with all the details. I think the details are what the story truly is in the details. And again, congratulations on your being the recipient. But I feel honored. Trust me, I really do. I feel honored. 
As Lisa said, I'm Pat Lowry. Um, I've been with the profession for over 40 years, I think is the way I should put that, and did a lot of different kinds of things while at Michigan State University, where I hold an emeritus status. I think I'm best known probably as the godmother or, or founder of the Vetwood Bound program across the country. And so there are many, many students that we had the pleasure of helping reach their goals. And so that always brings me joy. It also brings me joy connecting with them as we move across the country. Since my retirement from Michigan State, I've stayed engaged, working with deans who ask for support in starting their own programs, and they're doing really well. I think the data that you shared um, this week showed the outcomes that are coming to fruition. You know, there's one student at a time, one story at a time, one narrative at a time. And I think we need to be proud of that. I know there are those that want vast numbers all at one time, but life doesn't work that way. It, and it works in the ways that India has just described, the one person at a time reaching others to help them reach their journey as well. So I'm very happy to be here with you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Before we really launch in, I think that that's such an important point and, and kind of understanding what feels like a trickle and what feels like, you know, major progress is kind of dependent on so many factors. I know early in my career, I was really like, well, what is this onesies and twosies? Now I'm, I'm like, whoa, we're up to 10. <laughs> so it feels like we're really making progress. So for folks who are new, coming in new to the profession or really kind of starting to pay attention to diversity and inclusion efforts, things still feel like they're moving slow. And they are still moving slow, to be clear, but there's, they're still a little speedier than they used to be. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So India, so tell us a little bit about your diversity work at Tufts. I mean, clearly you've got this catalog almost of, of, of things that were in your nomination. Certainly you were very active in diversity and inclusion efforts while during your time at Auburn uh, University. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Tufts these days. Yeah. So Tufts Coming School of Veterinary Medicine has this wonderful organization called Tufts Veterinary Council on Diversity, or TVCD. And the goal of Diversity Council, as we like to shorten it, it's to acknowledge and celebrate and recognize the differences of others in our profession and in our camp, on our campus and within the nearby communities. And we really want to let individuals know that veterinary medicine can be a very, very powerful field. And with us having people from different walks of life, whether it's the individuals we're working with as clinicians or faculty or their technical staff or the clients who are taking care of the patients that we are dedicated to making feel better, they have different walks of life. And we want to acknowledge that and embrace that so that we can do something great globally to help advance veterinary medicine around the world. And so Diversity Council is responsible for all of the major programming on the Cummings campus. And so we put on events with the support of Dean's office, as well as the American Veterinary Medical Association and other entities from Tufts University. We put on programming such as Hispanic Heritage Month recognition, where 
we've decided to hand out little slips of Spanish terminology that was specific to veterinary medicine. So teaching people small words and, you know, just short phrases so that they can engage Spanish speaking clients and understanding the importance of Hispanic heritage to shaping who we are today um, as Americans. We also put on an event called Coming Out Day to acknowledge and, you know, really um, give a shout out to the LGBT plus community and also highlight intersectionality. I think sometimes we think of just a black person or gay person, but you can be a person that identifies as um, black Mm -hmm. and gay. And so putting those together in a context and letting people understand that LGBT plus people are part of our communities and they should be acknowledged was something that we really enjoy doing with our coming out day event. And we also acknowledge Lunar New Year, also known as Spring Mm -hmm. Festival or also called Chinese New Year, where we're acknowledging... um, Asian traditional holiday and giving out traditional snacks and letting people understand the importance of this holiday that's celebrated all over the world. And then currently we're in Black History Month, my favorite holiday to celebrate. And so we are releasing facts about the first, you know, African-American veterinarian, uh, other things that have really, again, shaped who we are as Americans. I mean, Black history is just, it's American history, let's be honest. And so it's important for people to understand where we've come from and how that has influenced who we are and so that we can appreciate what we have today and where we're going. And so we're excited to put on that programming this month. And then um, in March, I'm excited for Diversity Council to launch what we call the Generational Leadership Opportunities for Women, acronyms GLOW. And GLOW is for us to talk about gender equity in veterinary medicine. We know that women make up most of the student bodies at most veterinary schools in America, and I would say probably all. Um, And so, however, we noticed that Women who are in veterinary medicine, we don't see many of them becoming the deans. They're not the hospital owners. They're not the CEOs. There's a problem there. Um, And so we need to make sure that women understand that they matter. They are important to veterinary medicine in this country and that they need to be armed with the tools to know how to negotiate contracts. You need to understand invisible labor, um, the emotional labor. Um, You need to understand the Massachusetts Pay Equity Act. You need to understand um, what it means to be an ally for other women. And we also encourage people who don't identify as female, and for example, men, to also be allies for women and to also support them. And so this series is supposed to be um, a number of workshops and seminars and lectures who are going to come in and teach us these tools of negotiation contract and, you know, how to be an ally and um, the how to deal with the emotional labor of being a woman in America and really make sure that the first year veterinary students who are, you know, in their mid-20s, probably not thinking about these things, but get them to start thinking about these things and being ready to take on the world um, and to not be gypped of what they're owed and to be paid for equal pay for equal work. And so these are the things that Diversity Council is working on. And I'm really, really excited for us to see where we're going in the future. Pat? Wow, again. <laughs> uh, in- India? Is sleep part of your <laughs> Probably not. I suspect that you gain your fuel through the activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I every time you speak, I I think about what a wealth of information 
that you share and are contributing and how to best utilize that. I mean, it's just my nature to think about how, how do we help others learn from the experiences of those that have walked this path. And Lisa, I always turn to you and say, this is what we ought to do. And you know that. If you haven't done the agenda yet for March, maybe we have a pair and share session because now the vet schools all have, or just about all of them, have persons designated as champions for their diversity activity. And I can tell you that what you all are doing for Women's Month or for March is on the cutting edge of any kind of programming that any of the vet schools are doing. And so kudos again. Wow, wow, wow. And the Spanish phrasing is so simple and yet so powerful. A parent share or something that helps get get this widely uh, circulated so that those who are struggling uh, at their institutions with maybe 10% appointment and they're supposed to do everything for everyone from uh, from that model to, to models where there's a full-time individual struggling to find a way to infuse veterinary diversity and inclusion into veterinary medicine and all parts of it. And so wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. Yeah, as as you were talking, it was like, what is your sleep um, self care regimen <laughs> like? This, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, you are energized um, by this work, and I also okay. take note that, and this is something that was in your nomination packet that you say we a lot, and you refer to the council a lot, and that you are, you know, it is without question, like listening to you for a couple of minutes and your leadership qualities are, I mean, they're there, they're so visible. And yet there's this amazing collaborative humility there. And 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 it's it's really lovely. But how do you get folks as excited as you are? That is a great question. You know, I think it takes time and consistency and really coming out with a plan from the beginning. It may not be the perfect plan. It may be a skeleton, but it's more, I tend to try to present more than an idea. And I try to see if I can get a little bit of seed money or seed support in some way to convince others that this is something that can come to fruition if I have more help and bodies and money. And so I think from the beginning of me, going to Tufts, I, you know, met, I decided to make appointments with the deans and other administrative um, personnel because I wanted them to know who I am and really get an idea of who they are, what their goals are, so I can get a lay of the land. And so I think doing that and establishing myself very early on um, and letting people know who I am and what I'm about as um, and also connecting with some of my classmates very early on. You know, the first day we got to Tufts, we had orientation. And the first day I said, my goal is to learn everyone's name in my class. I'm going to leave here today learning everyone's name. And I did. I think that really played a role because they knew me. And so with me being able to 
recruit because I showed that I remembered them. Like, hey, I remember you. You're a person that really is into birds. You know, I really am into this. I think we could collaborate in this way. It really does go a long way to get to know people on a personal level. And so by me doing that for the last three years, it just built upon little by little, hey, I'm interested in doing this. You have diversity council. Wow, I really want to be involved. Let me help post a table. Let me help hand out flyers. I can send this email. And then it snowballed into me being the student chair of the organization. And so just having that baseline of people knowing who I am and me knowing them has allowed me to have some sort of clout and for people to say, okay, she seems very passionate. She has a plan. This seems feasible. If all she needs is $100 for this, or she just needs a table or space, okay, I can give that to her. And I'm very thankful that Cummings administration has been so supportive. They're very like, we just, you know, need someone to help execute and we are welcome to collaborate what I've done, getting it done. And so I think the students, the faculty, them knowing who I am, me knowing them, me having very clear plan and a very clear direction of where I want to go. All of that has um, kind of come into what we know today as Tufts Veterinary Council on Diversity. So I have to say, this is one of my hardest interviews. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just in awe of you. Like we had 50 episodes, nearly 50 episodes of the show and previous guests, you're all awesome. But (laughs) Let me just say that. But really, I'm just so, so impressed. I have a question for both of you. And Pat, I I really kind of want to start with you in thinking about not only students, but also professionals who are really interested and committed to, you know, driving change with respect to diversity and inclusion. What advice would you give? I, I think the first piece of advice that I try and share is to develop an inordinate sense of patience. And it, because, you know, folks say, you, you hear it all the time, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. No, that's true. They don't get it. But none of us got anything ever until we had the patience and the interest to begin to learn something that we've, we're not familiar with. And this work in diversity and inclusion is particularly hard. Um, This is not like microbiology. It's it's not like anatomy. It's it's not like history. It's not like any of this coursework or subject matter that we've been exposed to. And it's particularly hard for academics because academics try so hard to stay very cognitive in their learning processes and diversity and inclusion work. But this work requires a personal commitment, not just a professional commitment, but a personal commitment. And we're not used to bringing our personal lives into our workplaces. And so it's a total transformation of how we think, how we act, how we treat others, and how we move systems to embracing DNI work as core to success. And so patience, patience, patience. If you can find some one person who wants to be vulnerable to learning something more about themselves before they learn more about others, then 
It's easy. But if you believe that you just tell someone to go read a book or you show them a video or you give them a flyer or listen to a presentation that they're going to quote unquote get it, then you're missing the mark. You're missing the mark. People need to know that this is really difficult work because it's work we're not accustomed to doing. Great advice. So two big takeaways. You need a whole bunch of patience, like a whole bunch of patience. And you also need to be willing to be vulnerable to do your own work. Absolutely. If you don't know who you are, there's no way you can help someone understand their identities. Yeah. So India, same question for you. I'm really kind of targeting those students as you kind of get ready to enter your fourth year. And there are still 13,000 student, veterinary students just in the U.S. that you can kind of give some sage wisdom to in terms of what can they do in their own spaces to drive change with respect to diversity and inclusion in veterinary medicine? Yeah, that's a very, very tough question. I just say, absolutely, uh, you know, to reiterate what Dr. Lowry has said, I think having patience and willing to do your own work and show that you are vulnerable. But also, I think starting with your friend group as a support system for trying to see what you can do within your time and within your resources to try to make diversity and inclusion matter. And then also exploring resources that are out there. I'm personally, I've always been very interested in looking at other veterinary schools and comparing them. After all, I went to Auburn and then I went to Tufts. So for me, I constantly was seeing, okay, what does one have that the other doesn't, right? And so And then I really expanded that to all the veterinary schools. And I think that's how I was able to find Purdue University and all their work that they're doing in diversity and inclusion. I find so impressive in their resources. And I was, again, very fortunate that Tufts, they also knew of Purdue University and offered for students to get that certificate in diversity and inclusion and engage in that program, which I definitely did. And so I think just having the patience looking into the resources, willing to do your own work and figure out and let people know that you don't know everything about diversity and inclusion. As a Black woman, I try to make it very clear that there are millions of Black women in the United States. I do not represent all of them. And I also, too, want to learn more about other people, other groups, and especially in the context of veterinary medicine. And I think once I open myself up to saying, hey, I want to do this work as well and learn as well. I think people are like, okay, she's willing to say that she wants to work on herself. You know what? I feel more comfortable saying that I want to work on myself. And like what has already been said, this is something that you're not taught and you do have to have this personal connection and this want to really make a splash in this area. And I think some people are going to naturally freeze up and say, oh my gosh, we're talking about Black people in veterinary medicine, I'm nervous right now. Um, And something that it's okay, explore that nervousness. We're going to explore it together. You know, I think being uncomfortable and nervous means you're growing. And just like when you go to the gym and your muscles hurt and you are uncomfortable, you know, you're gaining strength, you're moving faster and quicker and able to lift heavier weights. It's the same thing with working in any area, including diversity and inclusion. So I would say to students around, 
the the nation at veterinary schools. First, work with your friend groups, but there's a comfort level and you can rely on each other to do this work. Also, don't be afraid to talk to administration about it and be very frank about what you see on your campus. Um, is there not a diversity group or student organization? What do the faculty look like? What do does administration look like? Is that diverse? Is there an, an effort for inclusion? Don't be afraid to push those buttons. You are paying thousands of dollars to go to veterinary school. I think it's very important that you not necessarily lead with that idea every day, but when it's time to make that point very clear, say, I'm a part of this community too. And I want this community to be better for myself and others that come behind me. And I think also willing to have the patience and doing little by little, it goes a long way. And as we wrap up this segment, what are your long-term career plans and how do you plan on staying involved in diversity and inclusion? And when can we apparently expect your announcement to run for president? <laughs> in the realm of possibility <laughs> well thank you for that i really appreciate that you know again as i i'm about a month away from entering clinic so i have a long way to go you know i again i have a connection between veterinary medicine and research and so i've been very committed to continuing that laboratory animal medicine is an area that i'm very interested in it allows me to be an advocate for animals it allows me to help develop better tools and technology so that we reduce the number of animals used in research. And it allows me to help researchers choose the best model so that there's efficiency and that's finding treatments and cures for humans and animals alike. And so I plan on going that route. I really want to secure residency in laboratory animal medicine in the Northeast, again, stay with my family um, and, you know, work in that area. And, you know, I hope that wherever I land, I am able to still engage in diversity and inclusion. I hope I have the time and I hope I have the support. So for me, the way that I plan on engaging in future months and years. I'm going to be past chair of diversity council. So I'm still going to try my best to be, you know, a help to that group as best as I can, as I'm trying to run to the stall and give a horse xylazine, but we'll see what I'm able to do. And then, you know, my goal is to be connected with the alumni association in particular. I want to make sure that I join Tufts Alumni Association, maybe even be president of the alumni association at Tufts Vet School so that I can go to engagement and see face-to-face -face veterinarians and veterinary students of color and inspire them and say, if I can do it, you can do it. What do you need? What is the support that you have right now? How can I help convince, you know, admin to give you the support that you need and so on and so forth? So I plan on staying engaged in that way. And then, you know, definitely at my workplace, I know that, you know, there are sometimes committees that are focused on this. I definitely want to have a place on those committees at my future workplace. And of course, staying engaged with AAVMC and AVMA and other groups around the nation that want to focus on increasing diversity and inclusion in veterinary medicine, because let's be honest, veterinary medicine, it touches all lives. We are not only responsible for companion animals, that individual with their chihuahua that they love so much, but we're responsible, we're, we're the reason why you can safely eat your food and not worry about, you know, acquiring an infection or something very, very harmful to you. We're the reason why that there's biosecurity. We're the reasons why we've discovered some very important inventions. We're the reasons why that you have sanctuaries that protect wildlife 
we touch so many lives and those lives that we touch have different walks of life. And it is important for us to know who they are, to have veterinarians that look like the people that we're working with. And I think that for us to do this, it's going to be a collective effort that's going to require dedication and time. I hope to not just say it, but also bring it into fruition. So I plan on staying engaged by being a member of Tufts community. I plan on being engaged at my workplace, working with these national organizations. And hey, maybe I'll start my own Black Veterinarian Association in America because I think that's something that I think would be very, very impactful. I don't know, Lisa, that there is another better closing to, to, uh, to, to this segment. I think that it's what's very interesting here is India is at the cusp of One Health. Yeah. And, be, and because One Health has not been exploited in urban areas, the way it is in the international community, especially her work with feral animals and and other kinds of things. I think she could bring a perspective to our major metropolitan areas so that young people can actually see veterinary medicine at work. And I think she's going to be our best future ambassador. I really do. Absolutely. No question. No question. So I think that you're right. This is a great place for us to wrap the show. India, thank you. And congratulations. You are so impressive. Clearly, this this award is so well-deserved. So thank you for making time to come and talk about your work and your vision. It's just really so impressive. And we are fortunate as a profession to have you. We totally hit the jackpot. You're very sweet. And I thank you, both of you, Drs. Greenhill and Lowry, for giving me this platform and choosing me as a recipient. I'm very humbled by it. And I really do look forward to working with you both in the future. And I look forward to working with the future veterinarians of America, especially those of color. I really hope that we dominate and take over the world and we really, really bring together veterinary medicine globally like we're supposed to. So, Well, thank you so much. This has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. You can find the podcast on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, Google, all of those places you can find us. You can also find us on Facebook at under AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air, where we certainly have information about the podcast and other diversity and inclusion programming in veterinary medicine. So with that, I will bid my guests adieu. Thank you so much for both of you taking some time out of your very busy schedules to join us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.